This is episode 29 of the History of Podcast. I'm Robert. And I'm Emma. And today we will be talking about the history of Valentine's Day. And uh, as always, first we have the egg carton count. Oh, yes. And today's egg carton count, our egg carton filled room, is... It's uh, 39. 39. We're so doing we, pretty well. Yeah, we're 10 over the episode number. So our goal is to have more egg cartons than our episode number. And I say we're doing quite well. We're doing well. We got more egg cartons on the way coming, I think. Um, but I do have a correction from last episode to start off. And that is um, that uh, hashtag San Diego Fire or the San Diego Fire was actually in 2002, not 2006. So just thought I would clarify that. And also, did you know that in the Philippines, some couples have mass weddings on Valentine's Day? So it's actually customary for several couples to be married at the same time, like at the same place on the same day on Valentine's Day. That sounds very hectic. Also like a very hectic anniversary thing. You're like, what do I do? <laughs> anniversary? Uh, Valentine's Day? Just put them into... Actually, it's kind of smart. I mean, it's just tradition. It's... Yeah. Whatever people like, I guess. The date for Valentine's Day seems to come from and revolve around the death of St. Valentine. Now, there was more than one St. Valentine. In fact, there were three. And believe it or not... They were all martyrs. And we think there were three. One of the St. Valentines was a Christian leader uh, slash minister slash physician in ancient Rome, and uh, Christian physicians performed healing miracles. And so the legend goes, St. Valentine secretly married couples to spare the husbands from war, and that was illegal. Um, And St. Valentine was actually fairly famous, so I guess he was, you know, he was doing this on the side, kind of under underhandedly under the rug and saint valentine so he was famous and he was invited to claudius caesar's palace and valentine also uh also called or known you might hear valentino he actually converted one of claudius's officials to christianity and valentine was beheaded on february 14th uh, 270 a.d and in the 300s only a few decades later Pope Julius I dedicated a basilica at the site of St. Valentine's tomb. And this was in the time of Constantine, so Roman society had changed to be more accepting and even centered around Christianity. The second St. Valentine was the Bishop of Interumna. And we can see the progression of Catholicism in Rome through this, and later became the Holy Roman Empire. The second St. Valentine converted Crato, a philosopher and language teacher to Christianity. This St. Valentine also performed a miracle. He healed Crato's deformed son. Valentine was arrested, beaten, and imprisoned later for his faith. Legend has it, St. Valentine wrote a letter, quote, from your Valentine to the daughter of his jail warden. Some versions say he had even performed a miracle and gave her vision, which that's pretty cool. He was later dragged out of prison in the middle of the night and decapitated on the date was February 14th. And this was either in 346 or 347 AD. And the two uh, St. Valentines performing miracles um, and being beheaded on the same day, decades apart, I think is too much of a coincidence. They might as well have been the same person. 
um, just with all those things being so similar. And for the record, a third St. Valentine was actually martyred in Africa. Little is known about him. He may have been a Coptic Christian, but again, we don't know. There's so, so little information. Now, you might be thinking, what does this have to do with sweet tarts and roses? Is this just another one of those pagan rituals the Catholics turned into a holiday just like Halloween? Well, you may have heard of Chaucer. He was a writer who lived in England in the 14th century. One of his well-known works is the classic Canterbury Tales. Chaucer wrote that birds start mating halfway through the second month of the year. And this seems to have been a commonly held belief at the time. Christians had officially recognized February 14th as St. Valentine's Day ever since Pope Galatius I made it so in the 5th century. Interestingly, St. Valentine's Day lined up with the Roman festival Lupercalia. And I know there seems to be a suspicious theme of pagan uh, pagan holidays being Christianized, but hold on for a minute. Ancient Romans actually worshipped the god uh, Lupercus, and on what lines up to February 15th on the Gregorian calendar, Roman priests would run around and smack women with strips of goat hide. And this was believed to bless them with more children. And it wasn't a, it was more of a symbolic slapping. It wasn't actually violent. Yeah, when Robert first told me about this, I was like, oh, that seems... You were super weirded out. Yeah, I was quite weirded out. I mean, anyone would be. And this is actually where Cupid comes from. So mythologically, Cupid was the son of Venus, who was the Roman goddess of love. And instead of slapping you with goat hide, Cupid hits you with an arrow. And the festival uh, of Lupercus stopped being celebrated in the 5th century. And that's around the same time Valentine's Day started becoming a Christian holiday. Historians disagree if Valentine's Day was a Catholic smothered pagan holiday. This is because Valentine's Day itself was not associated with love until the 14th century. Valentine's Day cards rose in popularity in the 18th century, and these were primarily handwritten. Professionally produced cards began to be made in the 1840s when postal rates were standardized in both the U.S. and England. And in the mid-1800s, the New York Times, or maybe just one columnist for the New York Times, had a val- uh, had a kind of a beef with Valentine's cards. Dang. Some writers argued, um, or I guess this one writer argued, they were foolish and pointless. I think the columnist took it too seriously, though. And so I have a little, I have a, a little ex- excerpt from this column. It says, Our bow and bells are satisfied with a few miserable lines, neatly written upon fine paper, or else they purchase a printed valentine with verses ready-made, some of which are costly and many of which are cheap and indecent. In any case, whether decent or indecent, they only please the silly and give the vicious an opportunity to develop their propensities and place them anonymously before the comparatively virtuous. The custom with us has no useful feature, and the sooner it is abolished, the better. Wow. I mean, I would definitely like to talk to this uh, writer. Probably and one not of the alive question- anymore. But- <laughs> well, of course. But one of the questions I would like to ask him is, um, who hurt you? Are, are you okay? Yeah. Like, what happened to you on Valentine's Day? Seems a little sad, but maybe I can maybe see where he's coming from. The popularity of Valentine's cards increased immensely through the 1800s, especially after the Civil War. 
There were markets for extravagant, expensive cards, but also the card anyone could buy and send. Any, any, yeah, any Joe could just could afford and buy and send. Right. The Valentine's Day card trend briefly declined, but then reemerged in the 1920s. After that, you can only imagine how Valentine's Day became commercialized in America. While Valentine's Day has been known as a romantic holiday for hundreds of years, a new spinoff holiday, relatively new spinoff holiday, um, has been created. And you may be familiar with it. It's Galentine's Day. <laughs> the holiday was invented by the writers of the show Parks and Rec. I really hope you've heard of it. If not, I'm sorry. And if you want to fully immerse yourself in the Galentine's Day experience, uh, go watch Season 2, Episode 16 of Parks and Rec. Valentine's Day is celebrated on February 13th, the day before Valentine's Day. And it's just uh, let friends in on the holiday, appreciate your friends, and yeah. yeah. And the last thing we have is White Day, which is celebrated in Eastern Asia, primarily Japan. And customarily in Japan, women give men chocolates or cards on Valentine's Day. And White Day is March 14th, so one month later. And then one month later, in Japan... So, in Japan, typically, women give men gifts. Whereas in America, it's typically men give women gifts uh, more more of the time. So, White Day is one month after Valentine's Day. And then that month later, men, gives, uh, men, give, men give gifts back to the women who gave them gifts. Hmm. Um, and the holiday was invented by a confectionery shop called Ishimura uh, Manciedo. And the shop promoted their chocolate marshmallows as gifts for men to give to women in return after Valentine's Day. And the holiday was created in 1978. And it was originally going to be called Marshmallow Day. Marshmallow Day. (laughs) White Day was a more versatile name and more inclusive of the types of treats a guy could buy. But who knew? White Day. Cool. If anyone wants to give me a marshmallow, I'm I'm down. I like marshmallows. (laughs) Modern Valentine's Day, you know, actually has very little to do with St. Valentine. Like many holidays, Valentine's Day has Roman and Christian roots and has been heavily commercialized. Valentine's Day has morphed into a commercial sellout of capitalist teddy bears and chocolates. And Robert wrote that. (laughs) Capitalist teddy (laughs) bears. So thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we are going to roll right into our donation segment. You may have noticed that this episode doesn't have any ads. This is because advertisers and sponsors tend to have a say in what is said. What we and, get to say on the podcast. Yeah, what is the, said and what is content. not said in the media. And we want to say what we want to say. We want to say this. Spit those facts, man. And we do our best to be as unbiased and uninfluenced as possible. Of course, it's never... You can't be perfectly unbiased, um, but that means we choose not to be sponsored by corporations. Whoop, whoop. And because of this, we depend on you, the listener, to help us keep the wheels turning at the history of. Robert and I put a lot of work into producing this podcast. Every donation makes us do a little happy dancer. Maybe it's just me. Robert's more of the stoic guy. He probably <laughs> does a happy dance inside. Well, think about this. How would how would you value? the knowledge and enjoyment you have gotten from the history of. So we want to run off of uh, what's known as a value-for-value model. So, in other words, what dollar amount is the information that we've given you, information and also entertainment, you've gotten from this podcast, 
what is that worth to you in a dollar amount? And then you can donate that. Honestly, I have no idea why you're listening to this podcast if you don't get anything from it. I mean, if you don't get anything from it, I just say use your time wisely and do something else. But please, I really hope you got something from this. But if you donate any amount of money, we will read your name and state um, where you're from on the show. And if you would prefer to re- uh, remain anonymous um, or for us to keep your location undisclosed, please send us an email and we can keep you anonymous. If you donate $25 or more to The History Of, you can send us a note via email and we will read it on the podcast. Now, we do reserve the right to not read a note if it's not PG because we strive to keep this podcast family friendly. I acknowledge that this may be a wee bit different than the last episode. We've begun to use the donate feature on PayPal instead of the traditional transaction feature, which allows uh, people to make monthly donations, and it makes life more streamlined for Robert and I. Also, a big difference uh, with that is the the transaction is that it's a transaction between we're providing a service for you, and then you're paying us for that service, whereas uh, donation is you are donating to the history of cause. The cause of spreading the history of informing the public about the uncommon history of common things. Absolutely. And with that being said, we would like to thank Christopher Smith as being today's most grandiose donor, coming in with a donation of twenty-five dollars. And Christopher writes in his note, living in a society with a lot of imposed emotional slash political biases, it's nice to listen to a podcast about facts. Hashtag never stop learning. That means so much, Christopher. Thank you so much. It seems that oftentimes there's some sort of agenda. 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 I'm sorry. Wow. There's some sort of agenda being pushed in the media, culture, and, well, life. And we are so glad to be your resource for the uncommon history of common things. If anyone else would like to donate, uh, please click on our donation link in the show notes to make a one-time or monthly donation. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. If you would like to hop on over to our Instagram, you can do that by going to the History of Podcast. Link is in the show notes. You can also find us on YouTube and Podcast Index as well. And if you have any questions or comments about the information provided in this episode, or if you have a donation note because you donated to us, please contact us at thehistoryof365 at gmail.com. Have a blessed day. And you've got to promise me something. Never stop learning.